Hi, I'm Lance. Welcome to Feel the Boot, a channel with tips and advice for early stage founders. Hi, Lance from the future here. While I was editing this episode, I realized it was running way too long, so I decided to break it into two parts. This is part two. If you haven't already watched part one, I recommend you do that first so this all makes more sense. There's a link down in the description and you should see a card up on the screen. It'll take you right there. This part of the episode is where we dig in and explore your top options to pick the one direction you want to follow for your business. If you find this kind of information useful, be sure to head over to feeltheboot.com and sign up for our mailing list to make sure you don't miss any new episodes and to get exclusive mailing list only content. Now you've got your top few options for a direction to take your business. These are the ones you think are most likely to succeed. At this point, you can start digging deeper, and this is when we move from just navel-gazing to actually doing some research. But rather than trying to research 20 or 30 options, you're only going to research, say, three options to see which of these is in fact the most viable. One of the things you want to do is really try to characterize the pain that you're solving. How much is it worth to people to deal with this issue, good or bad? Is this something that people are perfectly happy to spend hundreds of dollars per seat because it's costing them much more than that? Or is this a nice to have, but the price had better be really low, if not zero and advertising supported because there's no fundamental driver making them use this thing. And dig into the market more, do some real research, understand is this a field with lots of different competitors? Are they all doing something fairly similar? Are there radically different solutions? And why are people going for different one solution versus another? There are some spaces that are fundamentally winner take all. Once someone has the network effects to take over an area, it's extremely difficult to penetrate and take any of their market share away if you really are a competitive product. On the other hand, there's a lot of spaces without those constraints where there may be seven or eight significant players in the space and becoming another one is not all that difficult. Liz thinks about this and says that the beauty market is huge, but it is fairly crowded. There's a lot of technological and non-technological tools to help people with their makeup, but really no one is addressing it from an automation perspective. So she thinks this is really a greenfield opportunity for her. Look at the leading solutions to a given problem. Why are you enough better than them that people are willing to switch? I see a lot of businesses come to me talking about trying to displace Excel as a solution in this business because it's clearly a terrible tool to use for the job, but everyone is using it. And it's actually a lot of work to displace Excel because everyone knows it, everyone uses it, there's no training, there's no bring, bringing people up to speed and switching to something else requires all of those. So a little bit better isn't gonna cut it. You need to be massively better. Liz thinks to herself, well, magically amazing makeup where even with no skill, you can just wave a wand over your face and have a perfect look and change that look at will just through software switches that seems like a huge win and something that would make people put down their normal makeup brush. As a real world example, a company I invested in called CloudCath really sold me based on the weakness of the existing solution. So in a nutshell, they've got a tool for detecting infections in peritoneal dialysis. So basically there's a tube coming out of the patient's belly and it's draining bad stuff away. But if they get an infection from that tube, which happens not infrequently, it's a really bad outcome. So, how do you detect when there's an infection? 
Well, the current solution is that that tube has a sort of flat, smooth window area in it. And what the patient's supposed to do is when they're draining their own fluids, they hold up a newspaper behind the clear spot in the tube. And if they can read the type, they're probably okay. And if they can't, they almost certainly have a bad infection and they need to go to the hospital immediately. So not only is this sort of just brutally awkward and, and just and unpleasant to think about, it's slow in detecting infections. And so they've come up with a technological solution. It's able to detect things much faster. It can get someone to the hospital before they become symptomatic. They can also test for some other aspects of what's going on. It improves the entire experience. But seriously, a real technology compared to newspaper held up behind a tube, if that's your competition, I think you're in a pretty good place. The big question for Liz is going to be, will women switch what they're doing? Because all of her customers are already putting on makeup every day. They've become pretty comfortable with doing it. They've developed their own skill sets to whatever degree. Is this something that's a big enough issue for them to shell out money, to give up their control and autonomy to some third-party device? She has a lot of work to do to prove that out to herself and any potential investors. Some other questions to ask about each one of these finalist opportunities. First, defensibility. Are you able to keep others from competing with you? Even if you're carving out your own small niche, other people may see that and try to jump in. Is there something about your solution that will allow you to hold on to it? Network effects, uh, particular ways of doing business, or intellectual property. Can you patent some aspects of it? And with Liz's in invention, this may be the best option for her. Other defensibilities that I often see cited are superlative service. We're just going to make the most amazing user experience. To which I ask, do you really know how to do this? Zappos made their name on amazing service, but it was sort of a core driver for the founder and he made sure everyone else totally bought into it. Is that you? If not, that probably won't be a good defensibility for you. I see a lot of people say, it's a huge amount of work to recreate this. We put man years of effort into building this. But that's a lot of work for a startup. But for an established company, throwing 10 man years at a project may be no sweat at all. And so if that's your defensibility, it may be tricky. Now, Mythical Man Month, they can't do it, in fact, in just one month by throwing some huge number of people at it. So there's a time to market that may, in fact, make it easier for them to buy you rather than build a competitor. But you need to think carefully about how much window of time that buys you. Another question to think hard about is barriers to adoption. If you build this, will people buy it? And we see so many startups founder on this one where they've created a solution. It is, in fact, better than what's out there. It would save people money, but they still don't choose to buy it. And that may be because the switching costs are high. It's a lot of work to move things over. Or there's some other process that it interferes with. Yes, this tool is better than widget X over there that they're using, but widget X works with platform Y, which they built their entire company around, and you didn't know that, so your tool doesn't. So even though you do that thing better, they're not going to switch. Can you make the unit economics work? You know, once you start to build this at scale, it probably isn't economic with the first couple of things that you're selling, but once you get up into reasonable volumes, do you make money at the price you can sell? You may need to do some real research to understand what the right kind of price range is that will be acceptable to your market and generate the kind of revenues and margins that you need to have. 
Liz is looking at the cost of 3D scanning and inkjet technologies and airbrushes and seeing them all being incredibly cheap now. Those prices are all falling rapidly. So not only does she think she's got some reasonable unit economics, but it makes an argument for why now. When these were more expensive, making something like this was implausible. But now, off-the-shelf software, off-the-shelf components make this viable at this particular moment in time. So now we're at the decision point. You've looked at your top few contenders, you've done some experiments, maybe spent a week doing some research to try to make sure you validated these ideas. So, did any of them survive? Do you have an idea that will actually make it in the marketplace to the best of your knowledge? Liz thinks she has a winner with this inkjet makeup idea. The economics seem reasonable. Some early surveys she's done show that, in fact, there is a fairly large population of early adopters who are willing to try this out, so she's ready to go forward. However, on deeper inspection, you may have discovered that none of the top contenders that you'd picked out are actually going to be viable for one reason or another. That's okay. Go back to your master list. Are any of the other ideas you had still looking pretty good? Maybe you could take a couple of those and start trying those out. Do the next level of investigation and due diligence on them. If the next layer of ideas down looks substantially worse than the ones you've already explored, then you may need to make some more fundamental changes in direction, in type of market, in type of customer that you're going after, you may need to throw a wider net to try to work out which direction to go. You may also want to start talking to more people for input. Maybe your thoughts on what the real pain points are don't line up with what other people in the industry feel. And so getting some advisors in that space may help you understand better the kinds of solutions that would be viable in those markets. Once you've narrowed down to your one choice, you're really ready to start the work of starting your business. And that's where validating all of those assumptions comes in. I did an entire episode on that, but you want to continue to prove out all of those ideas to make sure that every single assumption that you're making that is determinative on whether your company will succeed gets addressed before you jump off the cliff and make that total commitment to this startup and try to start raising money, put your own savings on the line. And of course, once you start doing that, once you start looking for what other surprises might be there, you may run into some, in which case you'll need to pivot. One way to do that, go back to the tool, start looking for adjacent things to where you were going. Understand what was it about the idea that looked so promising that turns out not to pan out and starting from fresh, can you come up with other ideas that are in the same general direction so you're not wasting all the time you put in, but avoid those pitfalls that you've just discovered? Thanks for listening to this episode of Feel the Boot. I hope you found it useful and interesting, and if so, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. I also encourage you to go check out our website at feeltheboot.com and our Feel the Boot YouTube channel with video versions of these podcasts. Finally, I would really appreciate it if you would share this information with other entrepreneurs. I'm trying to help as many people as possible. Till next time, ciao.